every single time there are always winners and losers. There's been a big change in credit landscape. We had trade wars, we had political uncertainty, we had geopolitical uncertainty. 305 profit warnings in 2022. What they tell us is how difficult companies are finding it to forecast. Companies need to be prepared for shocks. Hello and welcome to the Company Watch On The Spot podcast. I'm Adam Stones, a data scientist here at Company Watch, and I'm delighted to be joined once again by Kirsten Tompkins of EY Parthenon, market analyst and content creator in their turnaround and restructuring strategy practice, and importantly for us, author of EY Parthenon's quarterly profit warnings report. Good morning, Kirsten. Great to have you with us again. It's great to be back. Thank you so much for coming in. Kirsten has degrees from Sheffield and Loughborough universities and later worked for over 23 years at EY, where she was senior manager and market analyst. She previously managed EY's Centre for Business Knowledge team in Birmingham and has worked as a researcher for transaction advisory teams specialising in the automotive and chemical sectors. In 2021, she moved to her current role in EY's strategy consulting arm, EY Parthenon. She's the author of EY Thought Leadership articles and blog content, providing market and company analysis. So Kirsten, this is our fourth podcast on profit warnings. It's the third time you've joined us. You joined us to talk about the Q2 report, the Q3 report. Now we've got the Q4 reports. We've got all the reports from 2022. And really, we've got the luxury of looking back over what was, I think, by any standards, politically and economically, quite a tumultuous year. So uh, thank you so much for joining us once again. And I'm just going to kick us off with a simple question. 305 profit warnings in 2022. Can you kind of put that in? into some historical context for us. If we look at that number, that's not the highest number we've had, but in terms of the percentage of companies warning, that is an equal percentage to 2008. And clearly when we say 2008, that brings up certain kind of topics and memories. So we really need to put that in context. So profit warnings aren't an absolute measure. So they're not an absolute measure of profitability, but what they tell us is how difficult companies are finding it to forecast how many are materially downgrading. And we know this has a significant impact, knock-on impact across their business and the confidence uh, that they have from stakeholders as well. So in terms of why we saw that, again, that's kind of a complicated combination of factors. And when we talk around this, it is a combination of factors. What we talk about is a trilemma of factors. So in terms of supply chain, energy and costs, and money, particularly the interaction of inflation and interest rates, the strength of those factors, but also how they hit in combination that made forecasting so difficult last year. In some sense then, by their nature, profit warnings, warnings about a company not meeting analysts' expectations or their own guidance, is more of a measure of volatility in the economy than actually the sort of absolute output in the economy. It it does kind of speak to that kind of volatility and that difficulty in forecasting. Clearly, if you have a lot of companies downgrading, then clearly there is an impact on profits, but it's not a kind of absolute measure. So we always say it's not an absolute measure. But if you look back at points where we've hit this kind of level of profit warning, so I would say kind of 2008, the only thing higher, the only year higher than that was uh, 2001. So this interesting year that we didn't have, you know, kind of 2022 was kind of a build up of pressures that kind of started from the pandemic and kind of you know stretched through into that year. Clearly, we had like the impact of the war in Ukraine. And when I look back to when we kind of started the year and what was writing, you know, in January last year, 
it was saying this is going to be a difficult year. We thought we were going to have supply chain issues. We thought we were going to have cost issues. Clearly, they have been amplified by the impact of the war. So we always thought this was, you know, last year was going to be a difficult year. It just the the amplification of those pressures. And clearly, that's reflected in profit one is because the companies are having to adjust their forecasts. I mean, the thing I was struck by, 2022, another headline statistic, 50% of warnings citing rising costs. So that's that's basically half of the warnings. And that's well above. We would normally expect around about, in a, in a typical year, there are, there are no typical years, but an average amount would be around kind of 20% of warnings would be talking to that. And clearly kind of an impact of energy costs and then the knock-on impact of energy rises on other costs as well and supply chain issues still. And then kind of other, other factors coming through that we just, you know, we couldn't have anticipated. And nearly half of retailers. More than in 2008. And again, we keep coming back to that. And Again, you were not looking at retail in the same sense that we were in 2008, but in terms of that difficulty of kind of those pressures on retailers and for a lot of that, there were clearly cost issues, there were clearly kind of consumer confidence issues, but also what we saw is a focus of warnings in pure play online or companies that have a significant online presence and a lot of that, I think, relates to the change in behaviour. So, Alongside all these other kind of cost pre- headline cost pressures, we have a change in behavior coming out of the pandemic and companies are having to really rapidly adjust to changing ways that consumers are buying and kind of, you know, kind of thinking, thinking around kind of their purchases and where they're prioritizing. One of the things that I really like in the report, a graph on page five, just showing the the reasons for or the leading causes of profit warnings over the last two years. And that costs thing really dates back to the, the pandemic costs and supply chain issues. And then it seems that over those two years, we've just had a steady increase in different causes. So in Q2 2021, we started to see labor market issues. And particularly, in, I think for the whole of 2022, but in the back end of 2022, we had a lot of industrial action. And then we were talking just, just a moment ago, weren't we, about how in Q2 2022, there was that switch of consumer confidence away from a post-pandemic or at least you know post-restrictions splurge into people starting to really worry about the cost of living. Yeah. So if you look at the monthly figures, there is a big spike in September in terms of profit warnings. And a lot of that spike relates to companies across consumer sectors, primarily retail, but really across the wide range of consumer sectors, seeing a sea change in kind of consumer spending and confidence across the summer. And you can see that in our data. It's finally really clear how that comes through. So yeah, we're still seeing that. I think if we look at Christmas, we saw probably better than expected spending. And, you know, if you look at kind of what, what the kind of historically the last couple of Christmases, it was the first Christmas where we kind of could really go out. We sometimes forget the impact that Omicron had Christmas before. So, yeah, we can see that. But in terms of the way that consumers will have to think and prioritise their spending, clearly, although inflation is falling, those prices are baked in now. And we were looking ahead at 23 and thinking, well, where are consumers having to prioritise? If they did spend on Christmas, will they have the money to spend again? And we will look at this in a, in a bit more detail later on. But in Q4, we've also got a new theme, haven't we? We've got this theme of credit tightening. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, that was the that is the first time 
that we've seen a significant increase in companies talking around credit tightening since 2009. So again, we're kind of like harking back to the, to that kind of credit crisis era without kind of quite going to that extent of credit tightening. But it is the first time that we've had companies talk around that. And that is around companies talking around their own credit tightening. So the impact of credit tightening on their business, but also the impact of consumers, the credit tightening on consumers and the impact it had on, on their spending and on their confidence. And so particularly within that, you would find house builders typically and, and other companies that are reliant on, on that kind of consumer credit. And actually, we've also seen the market reaction to profit warnings be particularly harsh, reflecting this kind of increased volatility, right? Whereas during the pandemic, we talked a little bit before this concept of almost like the free profit warning, you know, during the pandemic, were we in a more forgiving environment now with higher interest rates? Perhaps the equity investors aren't being quite as as forgiving. Yeah, it's the concept of we're we're all in the same storm, but are we all in the same boat? You know, creditors and investors and stakeholders in general are basically looking at the seaworthiness of that boat. So if we look at last year in consumer sectors and in technology sectors, the share price reaction was higher even than 2008. And if we look at what happened in this year, so so January so far, the share price reaction is well above the average. And I think investors are really starting to differentiate and think, okay, where do we position ourselves for potential upside and where do we position ourselves for potential downside? Because that that fall in, in on the day of profit warning really stands in stark contrast to what's happening in the kind of wider market. Which has still been fairly, we're saying before, fairly buoyant. Is this a sort of a shift towards people thinking more long term about their investments? You know, whereas during the pandemic, everything you, it's hard to almost see more than a few months ahead. And now people are thinking, oh, is the management actually capable of dealing with these problems? Yeah, and it was harder to differentiate. Clearly, during the pandemic, it was harder to see who was going to come out of it, you know, who the winners and losers are going to be. I think we can see now a much clearer picture of kind of where we are and how companies are kind of coping, particularly with these pressures that are on them at the moment. We're getting a kind of much better picture of how, how companies are, are, manage, are managing through all of these different pressures that are coming on them at the moment. No, thank you for that. I mean, if we move on slightly to talk about different sectors. Mm -hmm. So the main question here is which sectors of the economy are being hit the hardest? But I know there's various trends and so on in the sector analysis. So yeah, so in terms of so consumer is still clearly kind of one of our headline sectors in terms of where we're seeing profit warnings hit. Last year, there was clearly a significant amount of pressure on the consumer. So we got to the point mid year where half of warnings came from consumer sectors, which would usually be about a third. What we've seen, particularly through Q4, and we talk around this in the report, but what I've also seen carried through into this year, is a spread of pressure. So Whereas last year we saw pressures, you know, really kind of focus on the, on the consumer sectors, we've seen a spread of pressures kind of going out into other sectors and across pretty much across the whole economy, with some obvious exceptions, mm. but pretty much across the whole of the economy. So the point where we talk around almost no sector being immune. It's like a trickling effect where it's hit the consumer's sectors first on the kind of front line of the economy and then it's starting to go and affect more sort of b2b type companies yeah b2b is so so business to business spending is one of the big um themes in warnings at the end of last year and coming through into this year so if we look at what's happening to companies at the moment they're under all these 
you know, kind of, you know, cost pressures in particular, but just looking to kind of, you know, minimize cost. And they are looking at all of their spending and thinking about what can we do. And that typically leads to profit warnings in areas where that rely on that kind of B2B spending. So where we're seeing a high level of warnings at the moment is particularly in the software and computer services sector. There's been a lot of talk about large layoffs at tech companies. Is there anything in the profit warnings that kind of corroborates that? There is. So in terms of like what we're seeing, so certainly across tech warnings, we are seeing kind of an increase. It's mainly in kind of the software sector, but we're also kind of seeing warnings come through in the media sector as well so whereas we haven't really seen a significant number we've seen kind of companies there warning talking around their kind of advertising spending and again that kind of advertising spending is part of the b2b economy so there's a lot going on and we are seeing the kind of knock-on effects more across industrials more across supply chains thinking about kind of real estate as well because again obviously real estate are reliant on various groups that have clearly had a significant pressure on them but even within those sectors and we have to stress this every single time there are always winners and losers there are companies that do manage those pressures better than, than others or they are they are in a better you know they've got better channels or you know they they have better uh, kind of financial resilience but they they're always winners and losers i mean just to pick up on something you just mentioned about with real estate you talked about how we've got these warnings among key tenant groups but also there's been a big change in credit landscape and that's gonna play its part in the expectations for real estate yeah so we are starting to see and again this is not for all companies i think we're all seeing kind of an increase in in the price of credit but we are seeing a tightening of credit across the economy and that is going to have a broad effect I think that's one of the things that we're kind of in the early stages of. And it's one of the great uncertainties going into this year, because clearly we've got quite a big uncertainty around where interest rates are going to go. I know that expectations have fallen in the last month, but we're still in a different, I think, companies, some companies are struggling to adapt the fact they are in a very different environment to pre-pandemic in terms of that inflationary environment and the interest rate environment and the credit environment. And that is quite a big adjustment. We do a separate survey to this which basically looks at kind of CEOs and their expectations and one of their big concerns was actually that their management teams haven't gone through this kind of crisis haven't managed through this kind of environment before to go back interest rates haven't really been above one percent since the 2008 crisis and inflation hasn't really been a big feature there was a a small up well small relatively small uptick in inflation post 2008 got up to about five percent we've not seen double digit inflation since i think the 1980s yeah it's 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 a really different kind of environment to manage through. It's a, it's very different for consumers. It's very different for companies. So that's why I think that this year there, there may be some easing back of these pressures. We're still not going back to where we were before. Although I think we discussed before that actually 2019, I think we, we quite often forget how what a difficult year 2019 it was. was. It, it was. was a lot of political uncertainty, you know, and that fed into into delays in business investment. You know, 2019 was a, was a difficult year. Compared to what we've had since, maybe maybe it was a drop in the ocean, but it wasn't an easy year by historical standards. No, and profit warnings were high that year. And yeah, we had we had trade wars, we had political uncertainty, we had geopolitical uncertainty. So I think the idea that, you know, we keep talking around, oh, that was an extraordinary year, that was a difficult year, we have uncertainty. I think maybe we have to get used to the idea that this is just a constant 
level of volatility and uncertainty and this is what businesses will have to manage through for the foreseeable future. Insofar as profit warnings do speak to uncertainty, and I've, I've made this point before, there was a degree of certainty in the pandemic, wasn't there, for some businesses? I mean, you know, we're in lockdown, we can't open our restaurant, we know what our takings are going to be over the next two months, you know, so even though that was not a, you know, certainly obviously not a happy situation economically or, or otherwise, it did it did make it quite easy to forecast in a sense much easier than now yeah and we so we did we did have that initial spike in warnings because clearly yes. everyone was adjusting and then they fell away in 2020 because yeah you kind of you know everyone had adjusted to to that situation i think that yeah if we look back to the last decade there just hasn't been a year where there isn't something there has always been kind of something there so i think it is that idea that we have to adjust to that idea that you know the kind of the sunny uplands might not look like the sunny uplands of the past i mean just just to sort of round this section off is there any impact on the size of the company on the on the profit warnings that you're seeing so certainly at the end of last year we were seeing warnings focused amongst smaller companies so certainly kind of the kind of companies below 200 million which is kind of like our sort of first first level that we kind of measure to that's what we saw end of last year and that's very typical in terms of when you see pressures build on the economy because those are companies the small companies have less of a buffer to kind of deal with kind of price increases and contract delays etc what we've seen into going into this year is more larger companies warning very very obviously very early in the year but we do generally have seen we've seen that in the past it tends to start particularly in those sectors that are exposed to kind of contract delays um, and kind of energy costs and, and, and kind of rising costs you do see the smaller companies hit first and then the kind of pressure spread. I guess also there's an aspect of power. Small companies may be finding it a bit more difficult to pass on price increases. Yeah, certainly. And, and that's what we've seen in, in across lots of sectors where you kind of, you know, you're, you're looking. Obviously, there's a constant negotiation going on between companies now as of where, where the kind of pain is, is spread. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of an ongoing thing in supply chains and companies have to have to think about that, about where they want the, you know, Clearly, that those that are very dependent and where they have critical suppliers need to think about where the pain is going to be measured and spread. One thing you sort of shone a spotlight onto in the report is this emerging issue. We've talked a bit about credit tightening, but in particular, the tightening of soft credit. And I think this is something that's going to be really relevant to our listenership. So, what do you mean as uh, what do you mean by soft credit? So yes, yeah, so the soft credit is a term we use for the kind of contingent credit, in particular trade credit. And people might remember back to 2008, we saw a lot of commentary around credit insurance, basically retailers losing their credit insurance, which would have an immediate impact on cash because basically the credit insurance insures the suppliers against the failure of, in this case, the retailer, although it's across other sectors as well. So when we look at that, we're starting to see that kind of emergence of pressures again particularly in retail but in other sectors as well and like I say you, you we look a lot obviously the headlines and a lot of the talking in the moment around kind of like you know the credit market but there are other influences on cash and there are other stakeholders in there as well and I think soft credit is one of the really kind of interesting areas that we talk around in the report because it doesn't generally come to light mm -hmm. in like in the good times. It just sort of works smoothly and yes. nobody thinks about it at all. But when a company, you know, basically 
won't be covered by credit insurance, then that has a significant impact because it will essentially, you know, in some situations, they'll have to pay up front for, for goods. And absolutely, it's not something that's going to necessarily show on the balance sheet, but it's affecting just the confidence of generally doing business, isn't it? If you can't, if you can't insure against one of your customers not paying you, then that that's going to have an impact on your confidence when you're doing business and the you know the terms that you're going to extend to that customer that's then going to have a knock on impact on their working capital this factor which doesn't necessarily explicitly appear because most of the time you don't use your credit insurance well so the credit insurance it just it works in the background it, it's one of these things that we talk about and companies may not realize how reliant of their suppliers on soft credit it will be it's an opaque part of the market yeah and, and what what would you say boards of directors can do then to protect their position around soft credit. I think it's kind of just having that uh, more transparency across their supply chain and talking to their suppliers and understanding, yeah, having a greater understanding and communication across. I mean, and I would say this across all their stakeholder groups. It's really important to have that communication with stakeholders. Clearly, when a company, now we're talking about listed companies when they put out profit warnings and clearly that's very public. But if there is a lot of pressure and you, know, you can see that there is there is a lot of kind of talk around a particular sector and stress in a particular sector. Even if you're a private company, you may feel that and you may have stakeholders asking questions around kind of how you're performing. And it's kind of helping your stakeholders to understand basically how you're dealing with those pressures and what levers you have to pull to kind of cope with those pressures. So as in so much of life, clear communication is is key in clarity. And just on that stakeholders is a term I hear a lot. I think, you know, this is the third time I've recorded a podcast this year. And I think I probably heard the term stakeholders multiple times in, in all of those. And what who do we actually mean when we talk about stakeholders? Anyone who's, you know, who you need to have confidence in your business. And that can range from maybe your between investors, your creditors your suppliers but also your employees as well so and you know as i just mentioned sort of like if if there are kind of credit insurers in there so it's everyone that that has a stake in your business and you want to feel confident in your outlook i mean that's the classic one you hear about isn't it with creditors particularly with smaller businesses the relationship i guess with all businesses the relationship that you have with your creditors and being up front with your creditors when they're a problem can often certainly increases how they how they see you. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's important. And what we always say is to communicate early because the later, and again, we talk around this in the report, the later you leave it, the fewer options you will have to resolve the issues. And, and nobody likes nobody likes nasty surprises. And it's, you know, that, that goes across the, the whole market and all of your stakeholders. So communicating early when there are more options and there is more value it's much better to do that. Another thing that you, you've shone the spotlight on in the report once again is this issue of multiple warnings. And if we just come away from the total that we mentioned, 305, you've actually seen a big increase in 2022 in companies filing multiple warnings. And we've talked before about the three warning rules. So can you just remind us what's the origin of the three warning rule? So the three warning rule goes back to some work we did in 2019. This is pre-pandemic where we looked at companies that issued three profit warnings in a year and then what happened in the year after. And what we found is that companies that issued those three warnings in a year of the third warning they had around a sort of a 10 to 15%, depending on the economic climate, chance of going into administration, around about a 25% chance of breaching their covenants, about 50% lost senior management, about 20% delisted in total. So, yes, there was quite a, a significant point of around that third warning 
that it was kind of a key risk factor, which is again why we talk around kind of you know acting early and not waiting. What we found during the pandemic is for obvious reasons, giving moratoriums and other things in place, that that kind of fell away and we didn't see the same level of distress after the third warning, but that has definitely come back. And if I look at the 2022 cohort, which are still with well within a year, most of them with that third warning, we've seen 13% go into administration already, 19% delist. So yeah, that that is back and the consequences for issuing multiple warnings are definitely there. They're definitely back. So that's why we keep talking around that kind of need to act early. And what does this mean for company strategy? I, I expect, so once you've issued your third warning, is that an indication that really the management hasn't got on top of the problem? So I know in the report you talked a bit about firefighters versus game changers, and I, I loved that. Yeah, so it's kind of an idea that companies can obviously warn for various reasons, and you can go through a succession of warnings. But what it generally indicates to us is that companies aren't quite getting on top of the problem. They haven't maybe got to the, the full root of the problem. So quite often profit warnings, particularly when they are kind of around contract and accounting issues, you get a succession of warnings because they, they you're basically finding more and more problems. Yeah. The thing, you know, warnings that are around kind of cost changes or, you know, kind of those kind of external pressures, that could be that companies, you know, sometimes that is genuinely because, you know, there has been a significant change in the market. But yeah. quite a lot of the time, it's because companies haven't been able to adapt. They haven't been able to share that pain around their supply chain maybe they haven't been able to find mitigating factors to kind of change that so it does really depend on what's behind that but it does generally speak to an issue of kind of you know yes adapt being able to adapt their strategy having the resilience to to kind of cope and find find a way through so if you see a warning you have to think a big question in your mind has to be is this internally driven or is it driven by the external environment yeah, and that and there is never a simple answer to that because clearly you can have two companies who have exactly the same environment and almost exactly the same business and one will warn and one won't. And you have to ask, well, why is one warning and one not? Is there something, you know, that they're they're doing? Is there something that they're not kind of adapting to? Is there is you know, are they not putting mitigating measures in place? So yeah, you can have those kind of usually I say, yes, m- most warnings you see triggered by external factors but it's that internal resilience and strength and operational adaptation that enables some companies to cope and some companies thank you for that i mean i think to close we try to be forward looking at company watch so we should look forward to 2023 we recorded a podcast with peter arnold the ey uk chief economist and the message there from the ey item club was that there would be a deeper recession but not necessarily a longer recession And there was some good news in there, particularly around interest rate expectations and energy prices, but with most risks to the downside. Would you say that's a a fair summary? Yes. Yeah. So I I would say, yeah, that we have, you know, the the forecast for this year is essentially for there to be a downturn and, you know, maybe it would not be as extensive as maybe predicted last year. I think the thing is, and I know Peter would say, that there just almost isn't a central scenario in in this. So companies need to be prepared and have that flexibility and resilience to be able to deal with, you know, upside, but also downside this year. I know that I wrote 
I had I checked back and look what I wrote in January uh, 2022 and and I wrote that companies need to be prepared for shocks. You know that's still that's still there and you could have upside shocks and we could have downside shocks. It's almost like forecasting needs to needs to become part of the culture. Say so, yeah, forecasting scenario planning. So companies need to be scenario planning for this year, and then as I said, thinking about okay if. If scenario A, A happens, what can we do? What levers can we pull? How can we adapt to, to this scenario? And then, you know, obviously the, the other scenarios as well. So, yeah, it's kind of just thinking around your forecast, but also scenarios and, yeah, assessing how you would cope in those different scenarios. And any trends in the warnings themselves emerging so far? I mean, I know you mentioned software. So certainly, yeah, the, the B2B, the software, the high share price fall, definitely, which is kind of interesting. And also that I would kind of expect by this point that we would see downgrades start to fall off because earnings expectations came down yeah. so much last year because obviously we had so many profit warnings. We didn't see that in January. January is still a high level of warning. So I kind of expect them to fall back a bit across this year. Um, so if you look at other cycles, we should start to see profit warnings. Well, it doesn't mean everything's good. It just means that yes. earnings expectations have come down. I, we should start to see that. But I kind of said this in other years and it hasn't materialized because I, it's really hard to use previous years as a guide because we don't know what's going to happen. But profit warnings should start to to even off this year but it doesn't it's a bit like inflation it doesn't necessarily mean the, the issues have gone away and with so many downside risks you know there's no guarantee of that right they could no. they could be back up <laughs> exactly and then there yeah, could be we could have as we've seen we, you know we had supply chain and we had costs and we had consumer confidence these kind of issues have come in continuous waves and so all we need is something else to come through and again, companies will be kind of rethinking. You again. talked about a notion of a recession on a sector by sector basis. So we, the UK economy never fully goes into recession, but maybe we just see individual parts of it going into recession yeah, successively. Yes, yeah, topical. So it, I'd say on the on the day we're recording this, we've just had the news that there wasn't a technical recession uh, at the end of last year. Um, yeah, we could maybe, and again, this is kind of a change of thinking. We maybe need to think about this in a different way. And think, okay, we haven't got an overall economy recession, but do we have like, you know, a sector by sector recession? Have we, you know, for some sectors might think, well, the economy is not in recession, but for us, it certainly feels like it. And the, the intensity of the pressures on some sectors makes me think that actually that might be a different and more interesting way to think about it. Certainly very intriguing. I'd love to see some analysis on that. It may be in a few years time when we look back. There will be some analysis where we can look at, at how things played out sector by sector. We might see some waves of different sectors facing difficulty at, at different times. Thank you so much again for coming on, Kirsten. It's been a real pleasure to record with you today. Um, I'm so glad that we've got to really delve deeply into into these these issues around soft credit and multiple warnings as well. And we've taken the time out to do that, as well as looking at how things are playing out in different sectors, looking ahead, and also looking at the uh, the headlines of the report. So thank you so much for coming in. It's always a delight to, to have you on the show. Thank you. And uh, thank you as well to everybody at home for, for listening. We'll see you next time.